So we've read the first part of John, which is like his prologue, his big introduction. And the, the John's prologue is an introduction to where Jesus came from, that he wasn't, uh, he didn't just suddenly appear and start a ministry. He didn't, uh, and it was not just about his um, life from, from when he was conceived by Mary, <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, um, but, but the other gospel writers trace Jesus' beginnings back to different places, to the beginning of his ministry, to the beginning of his life. They trace him back to being a descendant of Adam. They trace him back to being a descendant of, of Abraham, who was the, 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 the beginning of God's rescue plan for you uh, through Abraham, down through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, so that Jesus could come. Um, but he traces John further back than that. And, and John's gospel begins by saying, actually, in the beginning, Jesus was with God and was God. He's God's Word. He's the expression of uh, everything that God wants to say and do um, is, is, is Jesus. And, and then it says, the Word became flesh. So, God's Word became flesh at a particular place and time uh, in human history. So, we've looked at that whole big, mind-blowing reflection on, on Jesus and where he came from. And, and John also introduces John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin in, in, in earthly terms, was a prophet uh, who was raised up by God to prepare the way. That's John's mission. That's what he knew and understood he was to do. He was to prepare the way. So we're going to read about John the Baptist preparing the way. And, and how it happened was that at the right time, and I don't know how John knew when it was the right time, he called people to come out to the desert, the River Jordan flowing uh, down in the wilderness. And the Bible tells us there were at least two spots that he used uh, to baptize people. And people came out from the city, came out from Jerusalem and the villages and the towns and so on, and John baptized them. But it wasn't Christian baptism because Jesus hadn't come yet. It was what was called a, a baptism of repentance. It was a preparation, a get-ready baptism, um, where people were invited to just recognize and confess and declare uh, in this act of, of going into the river and being submerged and brought out again, they were, to, they were asked to declare or to confess that they had fallen short, that they were less, <coughs> less than God wanted them to be. And so they confessed their sins and were baptized, and it was a getting ready. It was just that. It was a, it was a putting your hands up. It was a turning yourself in baptism and turning up at the police station and saying, well, I just want to, you know, confess. Uh, so it was that kind. So here's John's story, or a little bit about him. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say, what do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. 
Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. There are two Bethanies in the New Testament, the one where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived, just two miles outside Jerusalem, and another one on the other side of the river Jordan. Bethany, if you're interested, means literally house of the poor. There you go. Every day's a school day. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Amen. (coughs) I asked you earlier on to talk about who you are three words, and I don't know whether you described yourself in terms of where you're from, so it might have been a cultural thing, I am Scottish or English or whatever, or I don't know whether you described yourself uh, in terms of what you do, your job, your uh, whatever it is you're getting up to these days in life, or whether, and I suspect, well, certainly based on the conversation that I had with David and John, Uh, I suspect you may have taken time to talk about what you're like. Three words to describe what you're like. How many of you did that one? Words that you're okay. So most of you described what you're like. Let me ask you this. How many of you chose uh, mostly positive words about what you're like? So the good stuff. Okay. How many of you chose mostly negative words Uh, the stuff, the frustrations about yourself, right? Okay, the bad stuff, okay? All right, more positives than negatives. We'll talk to the negatives afterwards and just... (laughs) Who are you? And who do other people say that you are? I won't ask you what happened when we got to the stage two of that exercise. Who are you and who do other people say that you are? Because our identity, how we know ourselves and understand who we are and what we're like, is is shaped for us by so many factors, by where we were born and grew up, by the kind of experiences, good or bad, that we had growing up, by the things that other people said about us or to us or over us, and that might have been heavy expectations that you've got to achieve and succeed and go far and work hard. Or it might have been the complete other end of the spectrum. You'll never amount to anything. Things that people say 
over us sometimes go quite deep. Sometimes they just bounce off, but sometimes they can go quite deep and they they shape us. And then sometimes there's the things that we say about ourselves, the things that we believe to be true about ourselves. And sometimes uh, we can bind ourselves in by thinking, well, that's all I am. That's all I'll ever be. That's, that's, uh, That's just, this is me. People came out to John because here was a guy in the wilderness, a slightly weird guy. We're led to believe he wore clothes made of camel's hair. Now, when I was a kid, I had a camel coat. And it was, I don't think it was camel's hair coat, however. It may just have been the color now I think about it. But I imagine camel hair can probably be treated in a way that actually makes it quite a designer item. But I don't think uh, John's was. The impression that you get was that John was a bit of a weirdo. He lived in the desert. Uh, he wore camel, camel hair clothing. We're told that he ate locusts and wild honey. I read a commentary once that suggested that locusts were some kind of rare fruit. I'm not buying that. People eat locusts in the Middle East. And when I was in Cambodia, I was out, out in the, you know, on a trip there in 2005, and the guy that was driving us about in the jungle um, in this massive big Toyota Land Cruiser epic journey. Our heads were just like bouncing off the roof. The roads were just really rough, unmade roads. And eventually we came to this little crossroads of a village which had a few stalls at the side. So he slammed on the brakes, jumped out, and then he came back. And then uh, he had this little plastic bag which he, he kind of took a few mouthfuls from. And then he said, you want some? And he passed them back. And it was a little bag of deep fried insects. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'll pass, thank you. It's just what they eat. So locusts and wild honey, that's what John ate. So he was this slightly uh, unusual guy out in the desert, and yet there was just something about him, about the time, and about the power and the urgency of his call that made people, city people, smart people, people who lived in normal villages and communities, respond to this guy's passion and his message and tapped into an expectation and a, and a sense of need of something coming that was, that was in the air. Now, you know, we know that there's an air of what it's like when there's an air of something coming, and it can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, the closer we get to 2019, people are getting a little bit Brexit twitchy, right? There's something coming, and it's not looking like it's going to be good. And sometimes there can be an expectation of, of something coming in, in, the, in the natural realm. But sometimes there can be an expectation of something coming in the spiritual realm, and you don't know what it is. You know that you're unsettled, or there's just a need for change, or, or something. You know, sometimes we live in seasons where stuff's pretty calm and level, and then sometimes God starts disturbing things. We're not as comfortable or content as we were before. Or we see things about ourselves that we don't like. Or we ask big questions about life and we're not getting satisfactory answers. Or sometimes everything just falls apart and it goes dark and it's desperate. And we don't really know what's changed except suddenly I'm not in a place where I'm at ease like I've known before. Well, somehow there was something of that going on. There was an 
There was an electricity in the air, an expectation. And why wouldn't there be? Jesus was coming, but nobody quite knew what that meant or what it would look like or who he would be or how they would recognize him when he came. And so here's this crazy guy with weird clothing in the desert saying to people, get ready, get ready. And loads of people responded and they went out to him. And the religious powers that be, the top brass in the temple in Jerusalem, the chief priests who ran the temple and, and the Jewish worship there, they were like really twitchy. What's, what's this sudden movement amongst the ordinary people? It's like they, they controlled the ordinary people. Israel was, it was a kind of faith state, if you like. They weren't just Jewish people because they had Jewish passports. They didn't have Jewish passports. They had a sense that they were the people of God. And so if you have a sense that your identity is the people of God and that you're God's chosen people, that makes the religious leaders very powerful people because they define who you are and shape what it means to be us. And so the people were defying the authorities and going out to the crazy in the wilderness because there was an electricity that said, God's on the move and I'm not ready. God's on the move and I'm not ready. And I don't know when or how or what that might look like, but I want to be ready. And these were people that had a religious system that meant you had endless things to do and not do. All the boys had to be circumcised. Every Sunday was a religious Sabbath. You could do no work. The food that you ate, the clothes that you wore, how many times you washed, offerings, sacrifices. It was, oh, it was exhausting, man. And still they didn't feel right with God. I bet there's been times in your life you've tried really hard to get it right and just failed, just got it wrong. I have countless times. Never going to do that again. Uh-uh. And so here was a people who had a sense of someone talking their language and calling them out to the desert, and they went. And John couldn't offer them forgiveness because he didn't have that mandate, that authority. That wasn't what God had called him to do. But the most he could call him to do was to get ready How do you get ready? By repenting. There's a religious word. What does repenting mean? If you take re and pent, re just means again, okay? Revise, review. You do it again, again, again. Re just means again. Pent comes from a word that means to think. So if someone's pensive, we're thinking. So to repent is to think again which is a fairly good Scottish phrase, right? Hi, we ain't think again, man. (laughs) Think again. Think again. Think again about what you just did. Think again about that choice you made. Think again about what you just said. Think again about what you didn't do. And maybe the second time you think, you know what, it wasn't so clever. It wasn't such a good idea. And so the people were going out to express their thinking again before God 
and saying, busted, I'm sorry. And they got into the river and John baptized them as a sign of someone who wanted to sort stuff out, who wanted to set the record straight, someone who wanted to fess up to their past before God and own it. Because actually that's all you can do. That's still all you can do. You cannot turn your clock back and I cannot turn mine back. You cannot undo what you've done or said when you got it wrong. You cannot fix the past. But John the Baptist knew that someone was coming who could fix the past and would fix the past and had the power to fix the past. Not to make it something other than it was, but to say, I'm going to set you free from it. I'm going to forgive you for it. I'm going to draw a line and say, enough. Let it go. Leave it behind. If I forgive you, there's no one else that you need to worry about. It says in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? If you've got God on your side, I'd like to see the enemy that's going to take you out. The religious leaders, of course, didn't know what was going on. All these people, a growing popularity. Who is this guy? And more importantly, who gave him the right to do our job and talk our language and do religious things because he's not one of us? And he went out and he asked this question, or rather they sent some people out. They asked their, their, their kind of minions to go out, the ones under them, and said, who are you? And he said quite freely, he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. He said, well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? Okay, what's that reference about? At the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, there was a prophecy that said before the Messiah came, the prophet Elijah would come again. So there was an expectation that the, the Old Testament prophet Elijah was going to return somehow and come again and, and would be the, 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 kind of the herald, the forerunner of the Messiah. But John said, I'm not. Are you the prophet then? It's a reference in Deuteronomy to a prophet who would come, like Moses over again. And so they were kind of expecting, they had this dual expectation that God was going to send an Elijah, another Moses. And that that's how they would know that the Messiah was coming. And finally they said, well, who are you? Because he kept saying, no, give us an answer to take back to the people who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? And he replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. I'm just a voice telling people to get ready because the Messiah is coming. Now, it's quite interesting because actually later on in Jesus' ministry, they asked about John the Baptist. They said, so who's John the Baptist then? And Jesus said this, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. 
Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, don't get hung up on big names and celebrities. Don't imagine that John the Baptist, oh. Because actually, if you're in Jesus and you're in the kingdom of God and you're a son or a daughter of the most high God, it doesn't matter who you are or who you've been. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what celebrity status you've got amongst the people. And the other side of that is it doesn't matter how big a name you've got amongst the people if you're not right with God. It doesn't matter how well-connected you are. It doesn't matter how much of a high flyer, how important. I don't care what celebrities in politics or sport or uh, the media or cinema or any of that stuff. Sure, the world eats that stuff up. Magazines. Like every day in the metro, there's a two-page two page spread that keeps you up to date with what the celebrities are doing. Is it the guilty pleasure page or something? I can't remember what it's called. I'm embarrassed that I even know that. <laughs> because people want to know what famous people are doing. And Jesus says, you know what? If your name is not known in heaven, I don't care how many issues of the metro you get your face in. Because actually, in the end, it's not going to cut it. And he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been reading it. <laughs> For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, this is the point I want to focus on. There's other stuff that's interesting there, but I'm not going to go back to that. He is the Elijah who was to come. So Jesus recognized that John was actually the Elijah that was to come. John was the prophet that was to come. It was just John who didn't know it. So what? So actually, you don't know. John didn't know how important he was. John, rightly so, because he was a man of humility that just wanted to point to Jesus was a really important part of the journey and the preparation, but John didn't know how important he was. Okay, let me apply that thought to you. Because you possibly don't know how in the scheme of things, in Jesus' hands, in his kingdom, you, my dear friends, have the power if you know Jesus and your life is in, his, in Him, you have the power to be really significant, useful, important, valuable, and transformational. We have a, a couple who've uh, just started coming around the church. They're going to be away quite a lot and um, uh, had a wee uh, Isqua and, and Judy. Uh, they worked for Wycliffe. We had a chat with them the other day. Wycliffe are Bible translators. And so Wycliffe sent people out. This freaked me out when they told me their story. They send people out to people groups and tribes who uh, haven't got the Bible in their own language. And then they go and live with them and they learn their language and they learn how to write it down. And then they translate the New Testament or ideally the whole Bible as they did into their language so they can have the Bible in their own language doesn't just pop up by a computer. It's got to be done the hard way at the first bit, which is sitting down with people who can't communicate with you 
and working out what it is they're trying to say. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to people that don't talk your language and trying to work out their language and then work out how to write it down? And then once you've done all that, translating the Bible into their language. Awesome. So, Esfar and Judy went to... Is it Esfar? Am I getting the name wrong? Iskar. Yes. They spent 18 years in Papua New Guinea with a tribe who, when they went, had only recently, get this, given up cannibalism like within the last 10 years. And for 18 years, they lived with their two little kids, with this tribe, people with bones through their noses, and they lived amongst this tribe, and they just had to start off with, I am, who are you, and work it all out, and then translate the Bible into their language. How awesome is that? And now they're doing that again with a different language and a different people group, like learning a whole other language and doing it all over again with another language you've never learned. They will come in here one Sunday, and you will not notice them. And they will not think that they are heroes or celebrities or people who've done great things. Because in their eyes, they've just been faithful and obedient to the God, the calling God gave them, and the gifts that He gave them, and the language abilities that they had. And as far as they're concerned, they've just done what God asked them to do. But now an entire tribe, an entire people group in Papua New Guinea, and I wouldn't have known where that was, but it's off the north coast of Australia, it's between there and Indonesia, now have the Bible in their own language because two people risked their lives and their family because it can't have been easy raising kids in that situation to go and do what God called them to do. Awesome. Heroes of the faith. So if they can do it, why can't you? I leave that thought with you. Not everyone's called to be a Wycliffe Bible translator, but John the Baptist thought what he was doing was not worthy of being the Elijah or the prophet of old. You see, faithful service in the kingdom of God is at one and the same time rightly unsung because, as John the Baptist said, he, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. I don't want to be the focus here. Get me out the limelight. I don't want it to be about me. That's the right posture for a Christian, humility. And from that place, you give your heart and your life, as trashed and messed up as it might seem to you right now, to God. Then for someone, you will be a name that will be utterly legendary. (laughs) It might be someone in your family. It might be someone in your community. It might be someone in your neighborhood. It might be a whole people group. Do not imagine that you're just little you of no consequence. That's just a lie. And it's not about you. It's about what God is able to do with a life that is completely given over to Him. Go for it, and you will not be disappointed. So far, I have not been disappointed by going for it. And so John didn't really know who he was, and yet God was doing an amazing thing through him. And the Pharisees then came and they said, well, why do you baptize? Who who gave you permission to do that baptism thing you're doing over there? We didn't tell you you could do that. What are you doing that for? And Jesus, in his answer, and it's between the section, I baptize with water, where he says, but among you stands one you do not know, 
And then later on, he says, I did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. God told John to go baptize people in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. He issued a call to people to repent and get ready, and he did what he was told to do. He didn't understand the big picture or everything that was going to fit into that. He did the thing he was asked to do so that he could be the important next part of what God wanted to do. You may not understand some of the strange things that if you give your life to Jesus, He might ask you to do. You might sometimes feel that you've given your life to Him. Where's this big call, this people group thing? And I'm just stuck in a corner at the moment with this little thing that doesn't seem to be of any significance. Do not despise the day of small things because small things can become bigger things, and suddenly something opens up or changes. Or it may just be that you prayed the dangerous prayer. Do you know what the dangerous prayer is? Lord, teach me patience, or give me patience. He'll answer that one. There's another dangerous but very powerful prayer, which is, Lord, break me. Lord, break me. Because God is in the business of getting us to where He needs and wants us to be, not because He takes pleasure in brokenness, but because, like a good omelet, you can't make it without breaking eggs, right? You have to start sometimes with the brokenness in order to get to the thing that you want to achieve. And so Jesus says, sorry, John said, I came baptizing so that He might be revealed to Israel. And then he says this interesting thing. I came baptizing, and there was this guy. And somehow, John had a sense of this guy. But he was told, the one who told me to baptize said, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're told that Jesus came to John and said, baptize me. And John had a sense of this guy and said, I I don't need to be baptized. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was baptized, went down into the same waters as all of these people had gone, putting their hands up of shame and guilt and saying, I want to be clean. And Jesus went down and we've, we've explored a few times over the weeks that image of Jesus, of Jesus submerging himself. It's almost like the dirty water. It wasn't literally dirty, but all these people washing their sins. And Jesus went right down into it. That had a really interesting thought. Maybe it's not a radical thought for you, but I, I find this quite profound. You know, when someone is, becomes a Christian, They are baptized into the name of Jesus. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized. Jesus said, go into all the world, make them my disciples, baptizing them. We're baptized into the name of Jesus because we enter into his death, the death of our old lives, and are raised again in the power of his resurrection. We take on his name. Here's the interesting thought I had. At the point where Jesus was baptized, he got down into the waters and he was baptized into your name. (laughs) 
He was baptized into your name. He said, I'm going to be baptized into Amy's name, or Dean's name, or Chrissy's name. I'm going to be baptized into their name so I can carry their stuff. And I'm going to carry it all the way to the cross. And I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to pay the price that they can't pay. To undo what they can't undo. To draw a line in the sand and say, enough, it's forgiven, you're set free. I'm going to do that. And if they believe that, then they will be baptized into my name. And they will get the fruit of what I have done. You can't fix it yourself. And so John describes how as Jesus was down and went down into the water, he saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And we know from the other Gospels that when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and settled on Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in the same moment. The voice of the Father on the person of the Son with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus getting right down into the depths of the worst of your life and then carrying it all the way to the cross where he died for it in order that you might know his forgiveness, in order that you might have his life, in order that you might be, as we sang earlier on, no longer an orphan but a son or a daughter, given the right to call God your father and invited and welcomed in to a promise of resurrection and of a life that will never fade or fail. What an incredible offer. What an incredible salvation. What an incredible gift. And John was just calling people to take the first step, which is all that they or you or I can ever do, which is the point where we say, guilty is charged. I can't fix it. I can't undo it. But I can own it before you, God, and know that the rest only Jesus can do. That's why the gospel is good news. God is willing to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, is willing to take a life that in your eyes might seem so far beyond redemption, so broken, so trashed, that it could never have any value, meaning, or purpose again. Wrong. God's bigger than the messes you've made. Jesus is more powerful than the life you think is irredeemably broken or lost. His salvation is richer and more powerful to rescue you from your past. His Spirit, more powerful if you will take Him seriously and let Him do it to change you from the inside out and produce a new version of you that you never thought was possible. He's able to take your life and punt you into dark and dangerous places and make you a local hero by doing the ordinary thing God called you to do 
and be unsung and unknown about it. You see, you can do all that and more with a life that is completely surrendered and given to Him. Now, if we hold out for our plans whilst we still seek to follow Him, then we'll, we'll, we'll be kind of torn, trying to do our thing and have our thing and a little bit of Him on the side. But actually, what He wants is all of you. Lock, stock, and barrel. Because I would like to suggest that your plans are probably not as good as His for you. (laughs) 